If you spend 10 minutes on LinkedIn as a B2B marketer, I can guarantee you one thing. You are going to be bombarded with templates and playbooks and guides and four steps to achieving marketing success carousels. We marketers just love to templatize processes and ways of working. And it goes back well into history. Let's rewind to 1898, where a gentleman called Elias Elmo Lewis was an American advertising executive and a pioneer in the field of marketing. He was credited with creating the ADA model. And if you don't know what that means, it stands for attention, interest, desire, and action. So what it does is it proposes that if you are going to advertise to do it most effectively, you first need to capture an audience's attention. You've got to generate their interest in the product or service. You've then got to follow this by creating desire for that product and ultimately lead a consumer to take specific action, such as making a purchase. And this model could also be perceived as being a marketing funnel. Top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, and developing a strategy and a set of tactics that are going to help move your customer through or down that funnel. We're now in 2023, and despite the tactics that we use to engage with prospective buyers have changed radically in the 120 years since Elias created ADA, the idea of the marketing funnel is still very commonplace and very much part of the B2B corporate lexicon. Today, I wanted to bring on a guest who has built her entire business alongside her partner around the idea that the marketing funnel is broken. Here's why, according to Gia Laudi of Forget the Funnel. The first reason why I pick on the funnel and models like the funnel is because they're generic. They treat everybody the same. They assume that everybody's customers all fall into generic top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. I have the same bone to pick with generic MQL, SQL definitions like these life cycles. I have the same bone to pick with pirate metrics, right? Awareness, acquisition, activation, retention. By the way, a big fan, pirate metrics is why I got into SaaS and recurring revenue new businesses to begin with, because I was like, holy shit, finally, everybody understands that marketing has this role to play post-acquisition. But all of these models are completely generic. And I mean, even if you're thinking about awareness, consideration, purchase, right? They're all, they all treat every product and every customer exactly the same way. If you are treating your customers in those generic buckets and creating experiences in those generic buckets, you are not going to be optimizing that experience for them. You're not going to be able to scale that in a meaningful way. And then also it feels a little bit gross for teams too. Like nobody really likes to think of themselves as pushing somebody through a funnel. Let's now fast forward to 2018, where HubSpot co-founder Brian Halligan swept the business world off its feet with a new concept designed to replace the old, outdated, linear funnel. He called it the marketing flywheel. Now, we'll drop a link to what it looks like in the description of this episode, but I'm going to take a crack at trying to describe it to you. So visually, it could be depicted as a circle, and within that circle, there's like an outside ring, uh, which illustrates three interconnected stages. And those three stages are attract, engage, and delight. And this is what the marketing flywheel really focuses on. It's creating a continuous cycle of attracting and engaging and delighting your customers 
to drive growth. So attract, it's all about bringing in potential customers through various inbound marketing strategies, think SEO, think content creation, think social media. Engage is that once you've attracted those customers, you're engaging with them effectively, you're providing them valuable and relevant content, personalized interactions, addressing their specific needs, building trust, fostering a relationship. And finally, delight is all about exceeding their expectations by providing exceptional experiences. Now, the whole concept of the marketing flywheel is that unlike the funnel, winning new business is not a linear process, right? Where customers kind of enter up at the top and they exit down at the bottom. Instead, the flywheel is a continuous loop that focuses on creating positive interactions and experiences throughout the entire customer lifecycle, which in turn drives growth, increases customer loyalty, it increases the number of referrals that you get, and ultimately builds out brand advocacy within your client base. And this model makes a lot of success when you are selling a product that really survives and thrives when repeat purchases are made. It's all about how can we make both initial and repeat purchases easier and more satisfying. Now, all of this sounds really great in theory, but how do you actually accomplish it? How do you measure it? How do we get it to where it needs to be? Gia has a few ideas. Understanding the nuances and the critical needs and the delivery of value for your customers. It's a lot more motivating when you are creating experiences for your customers that are actually rooted in the delivery and the receiving and experiencing of value. And so identifying those success milestones and you're creating overall better experiences because of it, because you're you're aligning up your business goals with your customers' goals. Our customers are in a struggle phase where they're experiencing the problem and they're seeking out a solution. And then the evaluation phase, which is where they're investing a little bit of their time in a, in a more significant way to evaluate a solution and and see whether or not it's going to solve their their needs. And then they go into being a customer in a way that continues to receive value and even potentially expands on that value. And so struggle evaluation and growth, you can figure that like in the struggle phase, our goal is to help our customers reach value awareness. So they discover that we exist. They discover that we might be able to solve their problem. Value realization, where we help them solve that problem. And then value growth, where we can then lean into some of the expansion opportunities, but at the very least retention um, and even potentially monetization opportunities sort of host becoming a customer. We've entered the crux of this discussion. What Gia is talking about here is customer-led growth. Here's how the whole concept came about. Gia was working for a marketing agency where she was supporting multiple companies with their marketing and advertising efforts. And ultimately she found herself getting burnt out. So she went in-house, moved west, and joined the team at Unbounce, a company that provides software that helps other organizations build landing pages. Whilst working for the SaaS company, she went on a trip where she went to go visit a friend uh, working for Airbnb, and she went to their offices. And while she was having the tour, she saw something on one of the walls that would ultimately change the course of her professional career. She saw a customer journey map where it wasn't a linear funnel where a customer's going from step A to step B to step C, but instead they're moving through moments of a customer experience. She saw a visualization of the direct and indirect touch points a customer had in 
planning their trip, booking the venue, taking a vacation and reminiscing about it afterwards. All these moments as seen and experienced through the eyes of a customer. And this was an aha moment for her where she decided that she was going to forever leave behind what she calls the grossness of the marketing funnel. In mid-2017, she then paired up with Claire Sullentrop, who led marketing over at Calendly, and Claire was really into the jobs-to-be-done framework. They came together and they married Claire's love of customer research and Gia's strategy and marketing background to develop what is now called the customer-led growth framework. I'm going to bring her back in to let her tell you exactly what it is, but first, a word from our sponsors. For many service and solution-based businesses, the idea of thought leadership is fundamentally misunderstood. It's the idea that taking out a piece of advertorial in a trade magazine or paying for a panel slot at a conference once a year is going to have an impact on the purchasing behavior of clients. Newsflash, it's not. Modern-day thought leadership is consistently delivering a unique point of view on the challenges that customers care about in the places where they spend time. We at B2B Better believe there is a better way for brands to win business today, and it requires taking ownership of your message in the channels that you control. Our mission is to help companies develop, produce, and distribute memorable shows that build brand affinity and generate long-term qualified pipeline. If you ever considered launching a podcast to drive new opportunities for your business, you can book 60 minutes with me for free and no obligation to brainstorm what you need to develop, launch, and run a show that delivers actual business results, not vanity metrics. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment. We'll also drop a link to that page in the description on this episode. Thanks. So customer-led growth is basically the process of qualifying and quantifying customer value. It's what can we learn about our best customers, about their end-to-end -end customer experience? What can we learn about them so that we can then operationalize it in a way that our team can run with really effective strategies to help them get to value? It's funny because it's just so obvious. Talk to our customers. This is the basis of any effective marketing and sales strategy. Just have a dialogue with the people that you're trying to sell to so you know how best to sell to them. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, a lot of companies don't actually do this. And there's a bunch of reasons why. Maybe they're scared. Maybe they don't know how to talk to customers in a way that will give them meaningful insights that can be used to guide their go-to-market. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they think they already have all the answers. I've worked for some companies where it was impossible, actually, for marketing to speak to customers directly because we were selling into large enterprise accounts. You know, our target customer were CTOs of Fortune 500 companies who weren't going to give you half an hour of their time so you could ask them, what blogs do they read and how do they stay up to date with the industry? And when you're in this situation where you are in an organization that can't or won't speak to customers directly, you end up shifting to secondary tactics. You look at, at developing buyer personas where you generalize a set of characteristics based on a very small set of information. You look at advertising lists 
you build lookalike audiences. And don't get me wrong, all of these things have their place, but they cannot and should not be used as a direct replacement for actually getting down and talking to your customers directly. Now, in the situations where you have to do a little bit of convincing with the powers that be, that jumping on the phone with a customer to ask them a few questions is a good idea. I asked Gia to share with me the pitch. What should we be saying that's going to help get the C-suite or the leadership team on board with this initiative? Here's what she had to say. First and foremost, it starts with a mindset shift. In an ideal situation, the senior leadership team would be on board with this. If we can tap into the minds of our best customers, we will be able to glean insights that we can then apply to our customer experience. So the framework is getting inside the heads of our best customers and finding out what value we deliver to them and evaluating what are we doing today that's out of alignment with that, because that'll give us our gaps that exist in our current customer experience. It's really getting that deep understanding and then finding out how that understanding translates into delivery of value, how our offering either product or service lines up with that. We do value mapping, what our customers say is valuable to them, to the specific parts of our product, the parts of our product that deliver that value. And then once we've done that value mapping, we can evaluate where our current customer experience is dropping the ball, where we have these opportunities to optimize our customers' experience. And then our job becomes in what order do we tackle these opportunities? Because generally, after you go through this process, you're like, holy shit, a lot of opportunity to improve here. And and the, the next biggest problem ends up being like, we've got a lot of opportunity, which is great. But then we need to figure out what do what should we like, what will have the biggest impact if we implement it in a specific order? OK, so this all makes sense in order for us to deliver value as a marketing function. We need to have a deep understanding of our customers. And from that, we're going to be able to uncover new opportunities. That's, that should make sense as an argument with a leadership team, right? So then the next question naturally is one of logistics. How many interviews should we be running? My background has been working predominantly in enterprise solutions, meaning that while the average customer value has been in the many millions of dollars, the actual volume of potential customers that we serve and could serve is relatively small. Gia actually thinks that you don't need a huge number of interviews to get started with the customer-led growth framework. Here she is again. But the CLG framework, it is better suited for companies who have existing customers. You don't have to have that many, mind you. You could have a dozen or so customers, especially if you're in the enterprise space. We're, we're talking with companies that have maybe a couple dozen customers or even just a dozen because they're relatively early stage, you would run interviews with them and you could run relatively few, like 10 or 12 or so interviews. We've even gotten away with running fewer than that. As long as the patterns are clear, that's what you're really looking for is that you need the dominant patterns, the same things to come up over and over again. And then you can have that sort of level of confidence that the insights are worth pursuing. Okay, this sounds good. So you need around 10 to 12 customers to get started. And ideally, these are your champions, the people who love your product. But you could also look at interviewing churn customers and maybe even prospects that we start getting into audience research territory at that point. Now, if we can't get interviews booked at the start of this exercise, is there a way for us to dip our toes in the water, especially when our senior leadership team need to see proof that this 
process is going to work? What is the MVP customer research program look like? A customer survey can also be run quickly. Is it as good as writing customer interviews? No, but you can get a lot of insight with just like two weeks. Get the survey up running in like a day, send an email out, maybe a follow-up email out to get enough survey responses in, parse those survey responses. So you're looking for only about you know 25 to 50 responses and you can get some really cool learnings that way as well. Not only about how your website might need, might need to be updated or your mes- messaging and positioning, but also have insight into how your early customer experience uh, should change as well. And that could be like the iterative way to sort of introduce it and then be like, hey, boss, hey, stakeholder, look at what I learned here with this like two-week research problem, which may get buy-in to doing another second or third round. It's a bit more hypothesis-based versus when you're running actual customer research, where you're basing it on customers who have received value from your product, have a high willingness to pay, and are and also stick around and have sort of a long-term sort of opportunity to serve them and provide value to them and have a high LTV customer. The insights that come out of that can really impact the conversion rate on your website. I also wanted Gia to share with me her perspective on what this process could look like for various stages of companies. If you are super early stage, if you haven't yet achieved product market fit, you may not have any customers or a very small number of customers that you could be talking to. Does this process change if you are an enterprise versus a startup, if you're product-led or sales-led? What are we looking for? It depends on the stage of the company. Generally, the companies that we work with that have product market fit, if it's an early stage company, the answer would be very different. If it's a later stage, more mature company, obviously that changes too. But for that that sort of spot in the middle, which is the typical company that we work with where they've got a healthy amount of customers, they've reached product market fit, they experienced a certain amount of growth, and now it is sort of, it's either stalled out or it's become inconsistent and unreliable. Very often in that situation, the outcome of this research basically shows us that there is a more advantageous positioning and messaging that can be applied to the website or their marketing materials. Generally, the most important piece of collateral there is their website. And then what we also discover is that their early product experience is also dropping the ball. It's not helping customers get to value effectively enough or quickly enough. And you can imagine all a bunch of other opportunities show up. We see these awareness level marketing opportunities show up, expansion opportunities show up, or even opportunities to further engage or better engage existing customers. Um, those all show up. But at the end of the day, if you're still investing in marketing and sending people through the front door. If you don't have your website dialed in and your early product experience dialed in, you are completely wasting money. Finally, we then come to the question of what does good look like? How do I know what's working and what isn't? And how does anyone know that they're going to get the results that they're looking for from these interviews and from these surveys? It may feel more natural and more comfortable for marketers to instead turn to their internal teams to ask these questions talking to sales, talking to customer success, talking to account managers. After all, they're getting a lot of FaceTime with customers. Why don't I just ask them? But the problem you have with that is you get a blinkered view of the world, right? This is why roadmaps that are largely dictated by what the sales team are hearing from the market don't usually give an accurate representation of what the market actually looks like. 
After all, if you're talking to a customer right now, what they're probably saying to you is, we want AI, we want some artificial intelligence features and functionality in the product. But if you have a terrible onboarding experience and 90% of the great stuff you've already developed is being missed, then perhaps figuring that out before developing more stuff would be a better use of your time, energy, and resources. I really like this case study that Gia provides here where it gives a little glimpse into how the customer-led growth framework can actually overcome internal communication problems and help establish priorities. But first, another word from our sponsors. Me again. If you're thinking about launching a podcast or a show to help you win new clients, better activate in-person events, conduct customer research, or build brand awareness, you're in luck because you can book 60 minutes with me to brainstorm what it will take to get started. No commitment, no charge. Simply visit www.b2b-better.com forward slash podcast dash assessment. You can also find a link to that page in the description of this episode. Thanks. We ran a customer survey with the company, a couple thousand customers, a relatively low ACB product, I'd say somewhere between $20 and $50 like a month product. We ran surveys for that company. And when I say surveys, by the way, I'm not talking about multiple choice surveys here. I'm talking about like qualitative open text because we want that voice of customer. The voice of customer is really important in figuring out like where am I missing the mark. We took these surveys parse those responses and recognize and realize that, hey, there's two very different types of customers that are showing up. We've got customers that are coming through the front door because they're trying to build out a certain channel. This is in MarTech. And then we've got another set of customers that are looking to automate their processes. They're both getting value from this product. They're both happily paying customers. But what we realized was that one was a sort of loud majority of customers that were a bit of a drain on customer success. They said things when we asked a question, what was it that convinced you to try this product? Their answer was like, oh, the customer success team was great. Mm -hmm. And the other group was, well, this part of the product you know, convinced me that it was going to be strategic in the way that I needed it, or it had the guardrails that I needed for the specific process that I was trying to implement. We realized that there was two different types of customers showing up and still getting value from this product. And what we realized was actually we should be focused on one of these groups and not the other. So not the loud majority, but that quieter sort of higher LTV, higher value sort of customer. And then we took just those customer responses and we built out a what we called like a voice of customer brief for them, which is their voice of customer organized in sort of this documentary of how they articulate the problem. And then we were as a team able to look at like, okay, what does your website say? Is it in line with this? What is that early product experience? And we'd look at the homepage, we'd look at the product page, look at the pricing page, those core pages. Then we'd sign up for the product and then basically go through that process of activating. And very, very easily, you can see where there's mismatches. And with this particular company, actually, we updated three pages on the website. So the homepage, the product page, and the pricing page, just the messaging. And based on that voice of customer, and we increased the uh, conversion rate on the website by 89%. But the really interesting thing was the trial to paid conversion rate also increased 40%. And we didn't touch anything after the sign up on the website. Over the course of this interview, we've only begun to scratch the surface of the customer-led growth framework and the opportunity that it presents for your marketing and for your business. So naturally, the question then is, 
how can we go deeper and how can we do this for ourselves? Well, I promise you that this is not an ad. This episode is not sponsored by Gia and by Claire. I 100% rate and recommend their book, Forget the Funnel, which you can now get yourself on Kindle. And the print books have actually just become available uh, in the UK and in Europe. I'm holding my own copy in my hand as we speak. And the best part is, is that what I said at the top of the show, you know, we marketers, we love frameworks. We love templates. And if you buy the book, you will get their whole process, exactly how they run it for hundreds of SaaS companies around the world. It features case studies from Rand Fishkin, Spark Toro, and one of Gia's early success stories when she and Claire were first developing this process. This is the book that tells you exactly how to run the process. It's relatively short. It's only about 150 or so pages. You can read it in an afternoon. It gives you the exact playbook that you want to follow. We definitely wanted folks to feel like they could implement themselves. So we have the privilege of getting to work with uh, a lot of amazing companies, but not all of the companies that can benefit from this process necessarily can afford to work with us. We wanted those folks in any one of those situations to feel like they could start and take advantage and learn some things and maybe get some wins to then roll it out in a sort of more significant way across the organization. Uh, the way that we did that is by writing a short book, a very practical kind of how-to book, but also the workbook, like 110 pages or something. And there's like templates and check sh- checklists and cheat sheets. And it's elaborate. Modern problems call for modern solutions. And what Gia and Claire have done with Forget the Funnel and their customer-led growth framework is they have given us a way to put our customers first. Not just talk about it, not just post on LinkedIn about it, but quite literally how to do it. So before you go out there and you start A-B testing messaging or relaunching your website or playing with AI tools to create content, why don't we just try something different and talk to our customers? The voice of your customer is more valuable than any jargon that you can throw into your content in a vain attempt to create engagement. Go buy this book, implement the process, and send me a message on how it went. Thanks again to Gia and to Claire for developing the framework, and especially for Gia for giving me her time this afternoon to talk about it. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. Thank you so much for giving me your time this week. If you are a repeat listener, thanks for coming back. Uh, If you did take any value out of this interview, uh, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review in your podcast platform of choice. It really makes a huge difference for an emerging creator like myself. Oh, that sounded so bad, emerging creator. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it because we're here. Um, if you want to learn more about me and the services that I provide at B2B Better, you can visit my website, www.b2b-better.com. A huge thanks to my guest this week, Gia Laudi, and also a thanks to uh, my new collaborator on the b2b better podcast tyler wade who has produced this episode and pulled it all together so thank you tyler for that see you all next week